I'm Matt. I'm Melissa. And I'm Annie. And together we wanted to welcome you to Still Great Bob. If this is your first time joining us together, we are watching AMC's Mad Men, trying to answer the question, is it still great, Bob? This week, we're discussing Season 3, Episode 12, The Grown-Ups, written by Brett Johnson and Matthew Weiner, directed by Barbet Schroeder. This episode first aired November 1st, 2009. The hit movies that week were This Is It at number one, which is a new release, Paranormal Activity, which is last week's number one, and then Law Abiding Citizen just hanging out at number three for two weeks in a row. Uh, the hit song that week was again down by Jay Sean and Lil Wayne. Uh, back to number one. Unfortunately, I will not be sampling it again. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. We don't attempt fate, I guess. Hey, with uh, <laughs> right. the digital rights bot- bots or whatever scrawling the internet. This week on Mad Men, Pete loses out to Ken on that promotion. After all, Peggy tries going out for lunch. The Sterlings celebrate a wedding, and Betty Draper makes a choice. All in the shadow of the Kennedy assassination. What a lot of episode. <laughs> I love this episode. It was so good. I it's love really, it so yeah. much that I was surprised to see the writers uh-huh. be two men. <laughs> I will say, um, there is something about uh, about how the younger women were written that did make me uh-huh. pause and think, huh. Something is happening. I can definitely, I can definitely see that. I just was, I was so into, um, I was so into this episode right off the beginning because we were just flipping back and forth through these, like, just like checking in with everybody's relationships, and mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm very interested in how this is playing out because I feel like, um. It's not always like that. Like, all the interactions in the episode or, you know, when we first go through checking in with everybody, you don't always get to get right into, like, good emotional stuff. And so I was so into it. And then the thing happens, and it just, the whole episode gets ramped up to, like, 13 in drama, and I just love it. Mm Mm-hmm. There was a um, moment with the bouncing around that was I found a little jarring, and I think it was probably in the lead up to the assassination. Um, I think it was when uh, Don was like storming into Lane's office, and we were going back and forth between that and some other thing. And oh, uh, and Pete and Harry, hey, yes, Pete and Harry, and uh, something else, probably Peggy and Duck in the hotel room. I don't know if it was just the most natural of directorial choices, but. Um, do we want to start out with, though, talking about the Sterlings? Sure, let's. And I think just we'll probably just with how the episode is, is structured, we'll probably be bouncing all around in in the timeline of it. But I think that's okay. And that's just kind of the way the episode is kind of structured as it as it cuts around. Okay, so we start off talking about um, Margaret's wedding to what's his face what i don't i don't care i don't care what his name is some white dude um yeah his name is brooks which is i'm not gonna remember the that by the end of this episode <laughs> yeah no so uh, sure uh we were, I get that. <laughs> matt oh matt um 
uh what are we doing so we're looking at what incredibly expensive blue earrings that uh we presume jane bought margaret and margaret's really upset about it and crying to her mom who uh mona who is the possibly the actual best i don't know about you guys but i was super into mona this episode uh yeah i was definitely into her as well i have a crush on mona Uh uh-huh that's just good sense. Yeah, I have a big crush on the way that she, uh, like, manages Margaret everyone? and Roger. Well, everyone, everyone. yes. <laughs> but specifically when Margaret, like, goes to call Roger and she's like, nothing's right. And he has just <laughs> had it. Like, he's not even interested in this conversation. So that brings me to another point, which is, like, I don't know what Jane is talking about because it's not like Roger's that nice to Margaret either, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um he says all these things and Mona's like translating them into what will <laughs> calm Margaret down. And it's just like so good. And then she's giving her a little pep talk and she's like, turn those earrings into a tea service or something. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Yes. No, she was so great. She's like, she's just managing everyone. She's even trying to keep Margaret from hating Jane, even though she's just like, Jane ruined my entire life. And, uh, she's you know keeping the wedding from being canceled without being super hard about it. Although she did send Margaret to her room, and she's keeping Roger from being like a super petty shitty dad. Like honestly, she's the best person in their lives, one hundred percent. And Margaret probably takes after her dad, if we're being honest. I was just going to ask <sighs> you that. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> that's the way it seems. Because if she was taking after Mona, we wouldn't be in this mess in the first place. No, I I just think it's interesting too in the like in that whole conversation that Mona is mediating between Margaret and Roger as it relates to to Jane. Just the ways that like both Margaret and Roger are upset with what Jane did in taking Margaret to lunch and in the expensive gift and thinking it's too much. And it's just like they're coming at it from like very different reasons and like different perspectives, but they're both kind of ostracizing and like upset with jane which i kind of had or not kind of i did have empathy with for jane in that scenario because it's like she really can't win for losing because it's like Mm -hmm. she's trying to relate to her her stepdaughter and yeah ostensibly their peers which has its own kind of complicated nuances to to navigate and maybe she shouldn't try and force it but yeah just Again, like she can't win for losing or can't win for trying or whatever. So I have a little, little, um, a quantum of, of a couple quantums of, of empathy for, for Jane. And I think that that then informs what we see with later with Jane in the episode and the wedding. Cause it's like she's not given a lot of agency or, or choice in her new, her new marriage, it seems, and her new, her new circumstances. It's like, Mm-hmm. She's kind of pushed to the side and is is treated more of like a, an accessory or or a thing even and, and less of a person both both by her husband Roger and then also by her stepdaughter Margaret. So that's stepdaughter. interesting. Or stepdaughter. Sorry, mm-hmm. sorry. No, that I mean I'm just repeating it because yeah. it's fucking absurd. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I like. I want. I actually. I really wanted to feel for Jane, and I don't know if it's. I, I couldn't figure out if I just didn't like her or if I just don't like how they're writing her because it makes sense that she and Margaret have the sort of like same level of ma- like emotional maturity and they're both written to be so 
bratty about it but because jane is the one who's married to the older man and she's the quote-unquote stepmom uh she she kind of is seeing herself in this light it's like oh i'm gonna be like the responsible adult and Margaret's so upset that she's giving her advice about how to be a good wife and it's like one you've been married for like five minutes jane yeah so that's gross um at some point jane even says something like i don't know what world you live in but i'm the good person here i'm like so i was on your side till you said those words i am really appreciating what you are saying about disliking jane because i agree with you but as i was watching the episode it was not dislike that i was feeling um and it i don't know if it was necessarily like empathy either um but when she said that thing about like i don't know what world you're living in but like i'm the good person here he i just hate roger so much that i was liking her i think by comparison just in the scene because he Mm -hmm. says like i forbid you to do it and it's like i don't really fuck with the word forbid just Mm -hmm. period and then um he says this thing where he's like you're not good and it's like that's like an inappropriate response to what happened I think and just using my assumptions uh even though I maybe shouldn't um I assume that like Roger was just a dick about Jane not talking to Margaret and didn't explain to her Margaret's feelings about it and didn't explain to her that this was going to be like an easier path forward to where she would have a better time in the family if she would do this he probably made it enticing to do it anyway because she probably thought that he was just being like grunt grumpy Roger. Mm-hmm. And so I just don't, I just don't, I can't give Roger the benefit of the doubt that he's giving Jane all of the tools to succeed in this family. And then he's like punishing her. That's like a big thing that I, I find myself in this position a lot where I'm like, I can't be mad at someone for doing the wrong thing when they don't they're operating on like faulty information like Mm -hmm. she should have had the emotional maturity. I guess if you're going to be Roger's age and you're going to marry someone like she quote unquote should. That's not a fair thing to say, but it's like we want her to have the emotional maturity to understand not to talk to Margaret. But I I don't think it's fair to like accept it, expect it, excuse me, of her because like. She hasn't even voted yet, ever. <laughs> that, yeah, that moment I thought was really meant to be, like, that moment where she's like, oh, you know, JFK was so handsome and I'll never get to vote for him. I thought that was just them being like, yeah, no, we want to really remind you just 100%. how young she is. And maybe you shouldn't, I don't know, I, I felt like it was weird, like maybe we shouldn't like her, but it does point out how young she is and... You know, you're pointing out makes, that it Roger makes said her to come forbid off it. As, like, shallow too. Yeah. Which yeah. like she's young. She doesn't In fairness, I there's still people who are much older who will vote on those sort well, of terms. Well, I wasn't radicalized at her age either, so I'm not going to talk too much shit. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, like you were talking about though with uh Roger saying that, you know, he forbid Jane from doing whatever. You're like, but that's basically the exact sort of way you talk to your daughter. So if you want this to be a mature, thoughtful, two-way, respectful relationship, maybe not treat her like your daughter. Uh Maybe treat her like an equal partner. Maybe communicate about things instead of just like, don't do it. Which, and that's just 
maybe it's so creepy and margaret was just like oh she was trying to give me advice about being a wife and just doing what they want and it just makes me think about dad i'm like oh no it's genuinely horrifying especially when that dad is roger (laughs) oh no basically everything's roger's fault (laughs) yeah Yeah. every single thing i mean i will give him a tiny 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 amount of credit for um for how he tried to like keep spirits up and tried to like at the wedding you know his little speech was actually really lovely with mentioning mona and little jokes and trying to make it more like inspirational of like you guys face tonight you can face anything together blah 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 but um you know that was just roger and his public persona of being amazing yeah he's 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 performing and that's what that's what he's good at and that is what his his skill set is whether it's you know you know giving the toast at the wedding or when he was like roasting dawn as the kind of mc and introducing him at two episodes ago at that big mm-hmm. uh the birthday party for sterling cooper um that's where roger's the most comfortable and i think too or i feel like i wonder we can add whatever codifiers we want but if it's because he can then control how he's he's seen or perceived because i'm beginning to wonder if deep down he knows he's a shitty person and putting on the act part of him maybe not fully and maybe not completely but part of him like there's this this restlessness and this un unsatisfied thing and like this little bit of kernel that he knows he's a piece of shit so when he's on an axe he can then control his own pr a little bit that way too and, and how he's perceived and how he's seen um so i don't know it's something i'm, I'm doing like we'll, we'll watch as we go forward and i mean i don't think anything at, at this point we've seen indicates that even if roger's thinking and feeling that inside that he has the ability to to grow and change um you think the heart attack would have done that but it clearly didn't um but yeah it's something gonna be watching going forward and i think too with the show that Mad Men is and how how it analyzes and focuses on its male characters like Don, like Roger, like Pete, um, that does kind of seem like a classic sort of sad secret sad boy sort of trope. I'm sure it has a better name mm-hmm. than I'm sure it has a better name than that, but I think you both know sad what I'm talking about. Sad secret insecure boy. Yeah. Because that's a hundred percent what Don does, but on a slightly smaller scale. I like had this thought while you were talking that because I was thinking a lot about um, how Roger is doing his like typical Roger thing to Jane and he really is like at his best at this wedding and then you were talking about the performance of it all and I got to thinking like is Jane we don't really get to see if like Jane is unhappy in her marriage which that's shitty mm-hmm. to realize um, because she is a character in this show but I wonder if Jane is like disenchanted with her marriage because mm. Roger has like dropped the performance and all she sees of his relationship with Margaret at this point is the performance. Mm. Um, but I mean, she has to know there's a reason that him and Mona got a divorce and it wasn't just her. Like Jane, you are cute and funny and charming and young, but this was, this was decades in the making if I had to guess. I mean, it's a little bit... All right, I'm going to pull in two references here. It, it strikes me a little bit of the whole Jane Eyre thing. Mm. 
<laughs> with uh what's her face jane Eyre, duh coming in being like oh mr rochester doesn't really like his previous wife she is a lot of things that are basically coded as she's too into having sex and also she might be too black but side note but here's the young new like much more appropriate sort of lady coming in and she's going to you know this is the happy ending we actually all want um and then she just sort of believed it instead of the fact that like no actually maybe your husband your new husband is kind of shitty um and as wonderful and giving and as trying hard as you are that's possibly not gonna fix the core problem which is the actual husband himself but uh because you know i i still haven't seen an interview but i've seen clips of it yet you know the whole Megan and Harry talking to Oprah thing mm. just the past couple of days there's been a lot of like well she should have known what she was getting into she shouldn't listen to all the rhetoric um just it's maybe that's why I, I really wanted to feel sympathetic for Jane <laughs> just because I've been hearing a lot of that kind of talk and how it's all basically her fault when the constant here is the actual problem and not not the woman who came in Really just kind of hoping for the best to live her little fairy tale because she's, you know, she's a baby. She doesn't actually know how things are supposed to work. Have either of you read um, American Pastoral, the Philip Roth novel? No. Mm-mm. So, like, without going too deep on Philip Roth, because, I mean, we already talk about enough shitty men on Mad Men. Not that mm-hmm. Philip, you know, Philip Roth novels are um, complicated. Um, but... Uh, um. Not that I think Philip Roth is shitty, to be clear, but there's it, it trades in a lot of the same kind of things that we are in Mad Men. We talk about in Mad Men, which is, is probably why I really like American Pastoral so much. Um, but a lot of it is, talks about the, the main character, about kind of cultivating image and a lot of the stuff that we're talking about here. And um, his father's like a glove maker. So there's a lot of like discussion of like the meticulous work it goes into making like the perfect player of gloves. And then this is internalized by the main character as he tries to create this perfect life. Right. And as we're talking here and, you know, with the, the Jane Eyre reference and everything else, it's like Mona's kind of a prop or not Mona. Sorry. Jane is kind of a prop to Roger in this, this new perfect life that he is trying to, to kind of craft for himself a bit too. Right. And so like, I think, the rose definitely seems to be off off the thorn a little bit because it's not it's not the wooing it's not the fun secrets it's not the you know lunchtime getaways in the office and asking jane to read the poetry she's writing it's the real work of a relationship and i don't know it's, it's not that different from respectfully what how Don treats Betty, right? And like, Ooh. oh, let's gussy up and we'll take you to the work event and, you know, whatever, whatever, right? So. Oh, Don and Betty. All right. Can't get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> no, oh, no, God. we can't. But I guess before we move, <laughs> before we move off Roger, I did just want to clock that after, after the wedding, um, Jane has been ostracized for all these reasons that we've been talking about. So she ends up watching the news in the kitchen and and drinking at the at the wedding so roger takes her home puts her to bed and he calls who does he call to talk about his day to de-stress and look for that genuine human connection with why if it isn't joan mm. harris mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who looked great by the way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's just 
Of course you're. Of course everyone's in love with her. I'm in love with her. Yes. I have eyes. Yes. Um, I loved like I I can't I don't want to say like oh I love this interaction because it's not like I want Jane to, or Joan to be with Roger but I did love when he was like oh nobody else is saying the right thing about this and she says yeah because there's nothing funny about this or she says that he's upset she's like oh you really are upset about this because and she says that that is because there's nothing funny about this like Roger has nothing to say about anything unless it's jokes and I'm like this is he is experiencing this as like such kindness but it's also kind of a burn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is why I was wrong about Joan. And Joan has this this great line that like just stuck to my bones about like she says how Greg's still at the hospital and he's still working because mm-hmm. even in mm-hmm. this this malaise and this uncertain time of like the rhythms of our lives being being disrupted with a major news event, people are still getting in car crashes babies are still being born and it's just uh, like oh i'm like getting like feelings like even just like repeating it back so yeah mm-hmm. i Aww. i i love joan <laughs> before before i watched the episode to prepare for this podcast i um i was thinking to myself that we hadn't spent we hadn't spent any time really with peggy in a minute and i was like oh i wonder like if that thing with duck was just like one time or like what you know just what's going on with our girl here because we haven't seen her in a hot minute and then we get it in this episode and they have it's this conversation with her and her roommate which i kind of forgot that her roommate was a thing so that's exciting (laughs) um but this was i just loved this as a way to update us on peggy's whole relationship with doug (laughs) like oh i can smell him like in the morning i'm like oh y'all having sleepovers at her house okay okay (laughs) i really enjoy karen she's great She's like the she she was kind of a lot when we first met her, but I'm just like, wow, it turns out you're almost you're kind of the perfect person that Peggy needs to be with. Right yeah. Now. And we did kind of say that, like, oh, maybe um, they'll balance each other out, like in a way. Mm-hmm. And um, Peggy's in a fucking relationship with Duck, so she's definitely uh, like branched out on her uh I don't even know what to say about that. <laughs> I did like when they were talking about married men and stuff and uh, Karen's like, oh, I don't even know why I'm like, I can't make any judgments about, you know, men and stuff. I, I'm i not making a lot of good choices right now. And Peggy's like, it's good you're being picky finally. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like you said, it's so nicely. Sick burn. <laughs> and it's so beautifully backhanded. But then again, Karen's like, oh, Duck's not married. Why else would you be with him? So like also, <laughs> seconds later. sick burn. <laughs> that was great. Um, yeah, Duck. He's just kind of going to be there, I guess, to, to be in the background of like, we have other options to Sterling Cooper if you guys, you know, suck. I guess. Oh, and I thought it was interesting. Like, Duck is all over this episode because at one point Pete is like, I'm calling Duck. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, this is also a way that we could get Pete and Peggy like circling each other because mm-hmm. they don't always interact at Sterling Cooper. But if they both were th- intimately involved with Duck, whether personally Ew. or professionally. Yeah, I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> um, we would get more of that between them if that's something yeah. the show is interested in doing 
I'm like, I'm fine with them using Duck as a as a plot device, but I would like it if he could do that job with a shirt on. Yep. No hundred percent. Like I've gone I've gone back and forth, I think, on, on Duck in general. And I think mostly it's because like the way he's written He's just always the guy no one likes, but like he's trying to, I think he's, you know, at first he was this guy who was trying to do things the right way and was just failing at every turn. <laughs> and I, I think the actor has like a really good appealing presence. Right. So it's not his fault that the character that he's playing really sucks. I mean, he abandoned really his dog. People do not mm. forget. No, no. That was a good boy. Um. And then he called Peggy Pee-wee on the phone, gross. and I hated all of it. Pee-wee, sweetheart. That phone call is also gross because he calls the boys in creative homos, which, and it's <sighs> so casually. Yes, and it's like a cute and charming moment because Peggy like giggles about it, and that is like the turning point in the conversation for her to decide to ditch her work lunch with her work friends for this. And I, I mean, my jaw was on the floor. Like I was pretty we- jarred by this in the episode and then i was like oh remember just all of the pop culture in 2009 like not great bob Mm -hmm. plus we finally get like acknowledgement about sal being gone in this episode (gasps) uh so like this very casual comment is the same reason why we lost sal yeah which we're not gonna talk about don right now but how dare you say sal's name (laughs) (laughs) i was mad um, <laughs> yeah, duck's pretty foul. This um, this is something that friend of all the pods, Elise, um, said to me when we talked about the episode a little bit because I did not catch this on my first watch through, which is that Peggy shows up at this hotel room and Duck is like rushing and he unplugs the TV so that she is prevented Mm. from seeing that there is a worldwide (gasps) crisis going on so that she will still bang him on her lunch break. And then the second they're done, he's like, I have to turn the TV back on because shit is going down and it's distracting me. And she's like, I'm sorry, what? And like Elise was like, it's fucked up. And I was like, yes, it is. That is fucked up. And then that's also why... In my headcanon, that's also why Peggy makes that comment about how much he's been smoking because he's stressed about the president being assassinated and he's sucking down cigarettes and yet he hides it from her so that he can get laid. Ah, duck sucks. <laughs> yep. Like, come on. Like, it's ah. so much to, like, make him do that. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, so... Duck does all. Duck has done all the things we mentioned, and then he also uh, postponed Peggy finding out about a catastrophic life event. Um, for that, so I was gonna say whatever was gonna come out of my mouth to describe what Peggy abducted was gonna be heinous. So I just <laughs> skipped it. Ugh. I've been trying to like suss out like my like more complicated and and not profound but i guess just more complicated feelings about duck this season aside from he sucks which is basically the the extent of it um it's just such a jarring character change for me from the duck we saw last season and i i know that there are reasons for that you know getting fired from sterling cooper and this this new job but like 
again, like we were just talking about with Roger or like, you know, is kind of Don's whole deal and actually kind of Mad Men's whole deal with this idea of like this performative, you know, ma- ma- hyper masculinity and things like that. Um, and why I'm having such a tough time buying Peggy as giving in to the sexual temptation uh, and the sexual advances of Duck is like, Duck reads to me like the dude who thinks he's charming, um, but actually isn't. Like he's read a, he's like read a book or like flipped through like GQ and like, you know, read these like bullet points of like how to be charming or like how to talk to women and like it just it's really inauthentic and it's like a really shitty reads to me like a really shitty performance and so like that's why I'm just like I was like Peggy girl like why. I don't get it. I don't get it. It's a lot. It's a lot of like unearned male confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the way he says things, that weird face he makes when he say says it. It's very off-putting. That's all I got. is like a perfect description of duck <laughs> he really is that um okay it's not really all we need to say duck sucks peggy you're better than this and i mean she seems to be enjoying herself which like great for her get it girl whatever but then i remember how like how young she is and she's so petite and ugh. yeah and he offered her a job and Ew. like now they're sleeping together and like Pete still assumes the job is open, which makes me believe that the job would still be open for Peggy too. So I don't know, but speaking of Pete Ah <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh. So where are we on the Pete Barometer right now on liking him? I really had um a dangerous thought during this episode, which was um oh no. This is a good Pete or a better Pete or a relatable Pete. This is a Pete that I do not feel um, only dislike for, which dangerous, slippery slope. Like I've heard things <laughs> about feelings that people have for Pete and I'm trying to resist and I'm, I still don't like him, but I am saying like I did have that thought. <laughs> we, we do know some people where Pete is one of if not their favorite character <clears throat> yeah i mean i don't know yet but it okay like um when he did not want to go to this wedding just on principle i was like this is me like oh so that was that was something and then when he was when he was talking about oh we were just sitting there and harry crane's calculating what ads can't be ran because of this i'm like yeah, Pete, I see you. Like, I mm-hmm. I would be mad about that. That would, like, stick in my craw. I didn't recognize until um, we've been doing this watch, especially with you, Melissa, how much, like, some of the male characters, especially the male characters, like Don and Pete, they do that thing where they're going to let him be incredibly terrible, and then we're going to swing back to, like, oh, he's actually, like, a good, moral, upstanding person at heart. He just doesn't see it. He's going to make these decisions where you're like, wow, you've just had some bad circumstances, maybe a tiny bit not great of an upbringing, and that's not your fault, and you're trying really hard, bud, so, like, keep at it. 
And this is definitely like Pete has done some incredibly shitty, selfish, cowardly things in the past, especially against characters that we like. And and the show just is like I'm is just trying to convince me that I'm supposed to give him credit for being a decent human being, meeting some like basic moral, like minimal moral principles, like cool. Um, like I. It was so small, but I super like stood up when he actually apologized to Hildy for the coffee being for when he snapped at her being like, this coffee's instant. Uh-huh. Sorry. I mean, it really hit the spot. <laughs> it's like, oh, OK. Or when he didn't freak out about losing the senior VP of account management to Cosgrove. Uh, yeah. And, and like you were saying with him being like, no, you know what? Those privileged people They'll never cancel the, the the wedding because they're happy. Ooh. Kate, I don't want to have to like you. I know. I know. Um, the thing about... Um, oh, giving him credit about, um, about not having a tantrum. I'm really glad that you said that because when I watched it, I was like, man, Trudy's so good. Trudy's so good at managing this. Excuse me, Melissa. Why are you expecting Trudy to manage Pete when he's a grown-ass man? Like, get it together. He's the professional with the job. Get it together, Pete. Get it together, Melissa. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Trudy is 100% an amazing manager. She is the best thing that could have happened to Pete. She is mm-hmm. the number one cheerleader, and she knows things. She sees things. She's like, she is here to stand up for his worth and make sure he sees it too, even though it's a little inflated, in my personal opinion. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I mean, it was just like, I mean, it was just like Mona, just being this amazing person, supporting her man, even though he's not proven himself to be incredibly loyal in many a time. Uh, Matt. Yes. Do you think that we are removed enough from all the stuff that happened that he did to Peggy that we're just supposed to forgive him? Or even I, I can't remember her, her, her name, the uh, au pair from across across the hall <gasps> like a couple ago. episodes ago, which wasn't that long ago in episode time. Um I don't know. And like this is like something that like I'm always trying to kind of work through in myself, admittedly. Um is like the idea of like redemption arcs and Mm. typically they're like male redemption arcs and whether they're successful, whether they're, whether they're not, um, whether it's a character like Sawyer from Lost or, you know, like Darth Vader in Star Wars, or, you know, maybe kind of sort of, but not really spoilers for Game of Thrones, but Jamie Lannister. Right. And like, we haven't in three seasons had any indication that there's going to be any of those for for Mad Men, right? Like even you think about like Lost and the <clears throat> excuse me the Sawyer stuff. Um, there's like bad. There's lots of like you know racially insensitive and and bad like nicknames and stuff like that. But like Sawyer softens relatively pretty quickly for the grand scheme of network TV at, at that time. Um, but I think one of the things that I like and both find frustrating about Mad Men is that so far we haven't really seen that and you can have a character like pete who yes we're getting more of a kind of holistic understanding of and is complicated like dawn is complicated you know so on and so forth so like on one hand that that reads true and that that's genuine 
Um, but where I get frustrated with it, and again, it's something that we've we've talked about before, is the way in which our patriarchal society is ex- is structured and understanding is expected from like largely like cis men who hold the power in in the patriarchy and being like oh well i had a bad dad so like that's why i'm acting out which is like okay cool i mean it's not cool but like understood like there that's the the reason for for the behavior but like part of that process is doing the work and then growing and changing so like then like oh and like so again with this the hildy stuff and stopping out pete catches himself and then he apologizes like that's huge but like i don't know it just i think what the, that's like the least of pete's trans transgressions no like, exactly I'm, I'm exactly glad that you realized that you shouldn't have been shitty about the coffee but like did you apologize <laughs> to the au pair have you apologized to peggy like yeah no what so are you some, doing normally in your marriage like him and Tr- like i i'm gonna give it to them like him and trudy i love them in this episode mm-hmm. um i felt like i could like see something about why they are in a marriage um even though we know that it's because pete was gambling that she was funny um <laughs> so it to me it sounds like you guys both kind of agree that like it's less redemption and peace showing growth and more like they're showing hey he's actually been a good dude this whole entire time um and not actually so that might be the thing that i don't know if the show cares if we think he's a good dude or not like think? i think that i kind of feel sometimes like the show is just saying here's these men don't you love them anyway mm. mm-hmm and maybe that's just because I find it unfathomable that, like, you could have me believe that, like, oh, deep down he's a really good dude who just, oh, did a little spot of sexual assault. Like, it doesn't work that way. He just had in a reality, dad, in the re In the real world. You know? In the world mm-hmm. of Mad Men, it certainly seems to. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, like, the thing I haven't really been able to put my finger on until just now that does frustrate me and has frustrated me about the show is that there doesn't seem to be a lot of growth from these characters who are you know put front and center primarily the main characters you see i think like i don't want to know if i want to like name check joan but definitely betty and peggy something resembling growth Mm -hmm. and moving on from the terrible things that have happened to them but for the male characters for don and roger and pete they certainly like give the appearance of it Mm. Mm. But again, it's the performative thing. Again, it's yeah. like, but have you actually changed or are you just repeating your patterns over and over yeah, again and on like kind of larger makes it and smaller seem, scale? That kind of makes it feel like the show is saying the men are fine how they are. They can boys ex- will be boys. They can exist in this way forever. They can be good and they can be bad and they can be co- complex and they don't have to change because they're perfect. The women, though, they're going to have to do some they're going to have to do some learning and growing because they're not OK. In their flawed mm. state. Yeah, I don't, mm. I don't know if. I think with my the, the massive caveat that I am the cis male representation on on the podcast, um, but I, like I don't know if that's totally what the the show is saying. I don't know if it's drawing oh, yeah. that. I, mean... I don't know if it's drawing like that clear of a distinction. But I I, I hear what you're saying, and like, yeah. I guess my only other. Th- thought would be that that idea of like 
someone like Pete can, you know, wither away at like consent and like commit like an an assault, or we see other like you know characters committing sexual assaults and and things like that. But then like it demands our understanding, like that. It's like frustrating on the show, and it's like frustrating in reality too, because mm-hmm. like whenever like because it's because the same patterns that the show is expecting us to do or that it's replicating are ones we we see every day whether it's on the news or in our personal lives or when you know oh so and so wouldn't do that so and so is a good guy i don't believe that he would do that you're lying or like you know like Mm. all that stuff so like where i'm challenged by the show and i think it gets especially complicated because like again like matthew weiner is these characters right Mm -hmm. and in terms of being inappropriate pushing boundaries of consent and like you know all of i don't want to say all of that stuff but like you know as someone with a is problematic we'll just we'll just phrase it that way right so like what i don't know is if the show is like just commenting on these things that are that were then and still are now and still were in 2009 like i just some of the messaging gets mixed to me because it like mm-hmm. the mad madman tries to have its cake and eat, and eat it too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it would like to say that it villainizes these men because of the bad things that they do, but like I don't think it actually does that in the show. Like, yeah, it, there's a difference between like portraying bad behavior and actually saying that it is bad. Mm-hmm. It it definitely walks that fine line of like maybe glorifying it a little bit because they are they can be like incredibly charming characters and I don't think they're they intended um, to make it like the women need to grow and change and the men um, they can just stay the way they are I mean it's certainly something that happens in society where you know it's the boys get boys will be boys the sort of basically lower expectations and standards for men and not encouraging them or letting them know that their fuller potential can be reached as uh you know thoughtful living breathing emotional human beings in the world um but it's 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 the show has a hard time delineating the two i think what it's trying to say and what it's actually saying probably because it is through like a filter of of matthew weiner's perspective yeah and just time too i mean we kind of burned through all of the anti-heroes in the, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 2010s, but it, it would be different if we weren't sick of them to see how those stories would be told now. Mm-hmm. And there is certainly something to be said about, like, where they, you know, where they come from, their upbringings, the sort of people who raised them, um, and, and the how, you know, the, the environments they were raised and the expectations that they were held to growing up and how that has been passed down and has affected everyone around there's certainly something to be said about that um but it does i think i've mentioned this quote before (laughs) from alan bennett's the history boys but um i just thought about it right now where you know one character was kind of upset on how they were addressing things like the holocaust and they said uh to put something in context is a step towards saying it can be understood and that it can be explained and if it can be explained then it can be explained away which I think mm-hmm. is not necessarily universal truth, but I think is something that this show does come very close to doing. It tends to be like, this is why it's, hap- it's happening, and don't you feel bad for them, and kind of almost explaining it away. You can't see me, but I'm nodding. 
Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I feel like, you know, there's just nothing to add. And that's not great podcasting, but. <laughs> awesome. Um, okay, before we completely move on, I just wanted to shout out um, Ken Cosgrove and his promotion, Kenny and his haircut, new band name, <laughs> I Call Dibs. Um, yeah, that's it. Awesome. He barely I gets to talk in this girl. episode, but like, great, great Ken Cosgrove episode. <laughs> Miss you. Isn't it amazing how like affection for Ken has really increased the less he has had to say? <laughs> I know. I love that for him. <laughs> <laughs> We'll always have the gold violin. And he is just so cute that I can't, he's going to have to do something that makes me not like him. So the least he talks, the less I have to defend myself. <laughs> oh, awesome. Um, okay, so go ahead, Medman, and just have Don hold a baby. Oh. For the first time <laughs> we see him in the episode, just please <laughs> blow me away with basic competence of Don Draper. <laughs> 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 oh, oh he's fuck. babysitting for her and he's like this isn't the only time i've done it like uh, don is it? don't is it uh, probably to be honest um <laughs> i mean we've seen him hold the baby before but i don't think i think betty was home yeah and it's murder Where's... every time how dare you <laughs> that's more of a john ham thing in good clothes I should just Google like John Ham holds babies and just not have this problem when I watch Mad Men. Um, and he's doing the absolute most by Don's standards at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is something really affectionate, I want to say, between the two of them when Betty goes to find him, particularly in her voice. I mean, it may have been just because it was in the middle of the night, but and there was a, a child at risk of waking up, but. It seemed almost like a sweet moment and probably something that Don was, like, really holding on tight to. Yeah, and, like, he, after, um, after the assassination, she, they do this hug that is just so affectionate. And, like, you know, um, there is this, like, singular feeling of, like, relief when you are just, like, the most upset and then, like, the person gives you a hug. And it just, like, makes everything feel better, even if it's not, Mm. you know. And it's, like, you know, maybe it's, like, a person in a relationship. Maybe it's your best friend or, like, maybe it's your mom. Maybe it's just, like, you know, it's, like, whoever. But it's just, like, sometimes hugs are so relieving, and I just felt like this was one of them. And I was, like, oh, my God, Don and Betty, like, my heart. And she says that she can't stop crying. And um, he says, like, go take a pill and lie down, which on first watch I was, like, all right, dismissive. And then on second watch – he mm-hmm. takes the pill too when he goes up mm-hmm. to go to bed and we know that he's been taking care of the kids which is something that's going to be so exhausting for him he's never done it before um <laughs> but he takes this pill too and so the second time i watched the episode it really hit me that i'm like oh they're actually not using this as like a thing to show us him being dismissive of betty it's hit a way to show us that like he is actually really stepping up in the house because he is mm-hmm. also going through it to the point where he is taking a pill before bed and mm. on rewatch it just hurts me <laughs> <laughs> like the second time i watched this episode all this stuff i was just like oh my god he's definitely trying and um he is and I think I went on the same journey as you where I thought he was just being dismissive and being like this isn't important and like the kids shouldn't have to deal with this and you shouldn't have to deal with this and it's just but um, I think 
with the year that we've had, it being now March 2021. I'm sorry, March when? 2021. <laughs> we have missed... <laughs> it's been a year. <laughs> uh, I feel just all the things in so many different realms around the world and in, in North America in general and individually <laughs> and state by state, I could keep going. But I think, you know, the 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 tragedy that we've seen constantly, the tragedy and the horrifying things and uprisings, which was just like a fun additional surprise. Uh, just seeing people fall into like the doom scrolling black hole Oof, and yeah. what that's done to people, especially with so little else to distract you from it, because literally everything else has been in the context of like the the pantalones in one way or another you know um so there hasn't been like any real escape so i actually really appreciated him being like okay we're breaking we're breaking we're just not looking at the tv for mm -hmm. once we're not we're gonna accidentally see a man if yeah, it's not we're not a wedding, gonna accidentally we'll see go a man to be murdered on yeah. screen oh my god oh <sighs> yeah um and when Bet betty's like oh i just need to clear my head he's just like oh I'll 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 come. I'll bring the kids. Yeah, we can we can says, make a thing out of it. That's a good idea. And I'm just like, oh, done. I mean, it plucks in my little sympathy strings, but it's just too little, too late, buddy. I'm sorry. Like, mm -hmm. you could have done all this before. 100%, you could have told her about 100%. who you were. She wouldn't have felt like she needed to snoop for your secrets if you didn't act sketchy as fuck and like dawn. Like you could have been you, this good, loving dad without all the burden mm, before now. Yes, step, you could have had it all if you would have just stepped it up to this level of caretaking the whole time. Because she never would have been, like, suspicious. This is horrible, Melissa. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, Don's not that smart. <laughs> because, obviously, <laughs> my path is a better way to do it. Okay, I'm done. Um, yeah. I, <sighs> Betty, okay, Betty's standing up and screaming at the TV after Oswald gets shot, and she's like, what is going on? I'm like, wow, oh God, been there. So relatable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the person she would have been able to turn to or should have been able to turn to to make her feel like something was constant and safe in this world where everything's going crazy. Um, uh, she only just learned that she didn't even know his name. Um, yes. And he has, yes, he's never been there. He's never actually truly been there as, like, a support system for her, but she had this, like, fallacy to fall back on, and so it was, like, kind of okay. Um, and now it's all gone, and that just is also relatable. No, I'm not going to put that in the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, Do you guys think that she was really trying to make an effort to, to see if she could make it work after what she learned about Dawn? I mean, I do. I think I do. I think she's tried already, though, right? Like I think. Oh, of course she has. No, no, no. I know, but I think it's before because, like, let's let's put this like before she finally confronted Don. She had had been in the the shoebox, and that's when she was already talking to, and got the shitty advice from the family lawyer, right, about divorce and staking, making it work. And then that's when she confronted Don. Don had that that breakdown, and you know, she was then kind of consoling him. I don't. 
I think from Betty's perspective, or at least my read is, it's like she's tried already, and I think that this she she obviously knew about the the betrayal of the the philandering and the affairs, but I think this total betrayal of identity is is the bridge too far, and I don't think she's decided yet what she wants to do. And then they go to the wedding, and Henry Francis is there at the wedding at Margaret's wedding with his his daughter, I think it was who who he went with. I think she calls him daddy um or father or something yeah. like that um but anyways i think that and there's this great shot there are a couple of great shots chalk compositions like when it's cutting around to the the news early and you see margaret in the wedding dress and her mom's there and that was a great block shot but there's this other one at it's on the dance floor at the wedding and it's like don is on the left and henry's on the right and they're kind of you know facing both betty and it's a betty pov shot and it's just framed very nicely it's um, stupid good yeah like it's it's like this is tv please put Um, that on a poster i will hang it in my house i swear to god (laughs) (laughs) um but i think it was at that moment and then you know with the other kind of other stuff with henry later i think that's when betty decides that she's done with with don and that she's done with this marriage and doesn't want to be in it anymore so i think up until the wedding and you know the the world changing world shattering events of the the murder of the president i don't think she's decided yet and then i think everything is is confirmation and it's it's like you know it's like when you've always thought about getting a tattoo and then you go through a year like this one and you're like shit i'm just gonna book that tattoo but on a other life-changing kind of permanent sort of decision-making scale at least that's my read of it also, I'm getting a tattoo this week. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's it's hard to know what Betty is thinking. Like I don't do we think that do we think that she has like do we really think that she's just gonna straight up go out and marry Henry? Like he's hot, but y'all have known each other for fifteen seconds. <laughs> I mean, I kind of I kind of appreciated that he went straight for like, yeah, I want to marry you. I want to take you out to a movie. And like, I ain't that's playing. a in oh that my order. God. Him saying, "I wish you could take," me. I had to pause the episode, take a breather. <laughs> a movie. How dare, how dare you? It's March twenty twenty. There's no movies. Uh, what year is it again, Melissa? <laughs> no. Twenty twenty one. Um. Yeah, I mean, I kind of appreciated that because I feel like as a grown-ass man who is probably everything Don kind of wanted to pretend he was, um, I feel like he is aware of the fact that, like, oh, if if their marriage breaks up and we're just, like, dating, it's not going to go well for her. Mm-hmm. It's going to look real bad. But if we're married, it's legitimate. And, like, I am too old to for illegitimate means especially because she's because she's got three kids um it also kind of makes it a little messier but like i just thought like it came across in a way of like no i am for real i am here for you this isn't a thing where i just thought you were really pretty um i actually just want you in my life Um, i love that he said i'm not in love with the tragedy oh yeah Especially as I find myself bored in quarantine, obviously, but also in my life. And I'm like, do I want to insinuate drama 
for fun <laughs> or no uh, like no because i'm a grown-up but also no. that's like a thing that people do so henry's like that's not it this is not what i'm doing like <clears throat> this isn't just for the drama like i want to marry he just, you he um, wants love he wants the romance not the the Blah, the thing where there's lots of crying and door slamming but it's like if you want to get married are you going to keep that romantic energy because like that's <laughs> the problem his dating bio says no time wasters mm. but i mean that's the question with any marriage <laughs> <laughs> there was, there was, that was actually like a really great conversation i love that whole thing um as short it was as it was uh like henry asking betty if don knew where she was and she she's like i don't care he's been lying to me for years i couldn't be in that house mm -hmm. it's like girl i get it i get it. he offers to leave the campaign that he's been working on for her henry henry it's what are you doing he's hot this is like <laughs> i don't think this appealed to me so much in however long ago this was because in like what mid my mid early 20s now i'm like ooh, <laughs> sir that is a paycheck The movie thing, the leaving the campaign thing, the I'm trying to marry you. Although, to be fair, um, or I guess to be consistent, this, like, jump from meeting and being into each other to, like, marriage or, like, being in love, it really, really bothers me when it ha it kind of takes me out of, like, um, YA fiction when mm. it happens like that. Um, and... I will not lie. It took me out a little bit of this as well. Because I'm like, oh, it's too soon. What are you talking about? Like, you guys don't know each other. But then I'm like, I guess that's the 60s. Like, again, Pete did not even realize that Trudy was funny when they got married. So. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like, they're older. They, How are you going to leave a situation? You're with three kids, no job, no skills, no real career, uh, just the general just and you know we already know that she's internalized that like divorce women are broken but she's getting this promise of stability and commitment and care and when she mentions that she has three kids at no point is he like oh no it's fine like he's gonna do her a favor and overlook this grievous uh uh burden he's just just like yeah part of the package cool Great. Um, Marriage. That reminds me of this thing that I didn't say when we were talking about Peggy and Duck, so I apologize. But, um, like, right when they find out that the president actually did die, he's like, oh, my God, I have to call my kids. And it's like, okay, I get that. That's a reasonable response. But, like, you brought Peggy into this, and you did not let her make a choice whether to stay or not when there's a crisis. And now you're also, like, neglecting her needs, which I found mm. very annoying. All right, back to Henry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh. oh uh and that beautiful woman on henry's arm who greets him with kisses at the wedding and that makes betty all like oh my god jealous her face, face like, is so good oh, it's so good and then she who turns out to be his daughter uh -huh. who, uh, who is like a full-grown woman uh -huh. and she's just like why do you keep looking at her dude i love whenever betty overhears her be like oh i wish you could have been at the the ceremony daddy and um betty's like look of relief is so funny you <laughs> just know like <clears throat> i'm sure her internal feeling was like keep it together betty what the fuck you gotta chill <laughs> oh she's like a jumping to conclusions meme <laughs> that reminds me and i i forgot to 
note this down but that scene where she walks into the lobby and the two of them are like right there and they're both looking at her and she's just like which one it it feels like kind of like a which one do i walk to um (laughs) and she walks it just it's good but also i immediately had flashbacks to air bud where the kid (laughs) kevin zegers is uh, is fighting with the clown who used to abuse the dog Oh and my they're God. like, oh, whoever the dog goes to, that's the true owner. And they're just like, come to me, boy. Come to me. And I was just like, oh, no. Oh, they do that with uh, Ferguson and New Girl. <laughs> <laughs> and Cece puts yeah, fish in her pocket. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I was like, that's the imagery I got there. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, my God. Well, and I love because it's like she walks in there and it seems like it might just be Henry in there and they might get to have like a little chat. And then it like slowly, slowly, slowly pans over and it's like, oh, Dawn's here. Stress out. (laughs) (laughs) You're caught. (laughs) Oh, man. I really, really, really like this episode. I know we veered down into like the the does Mad Men have good intentions route, which we sometimes do, but like. Let the record show. I'm very, very into this episode. It's it is an enjoyable show. Just sometimes you don't want to think too hard about it. <laughs> Let's make a podcast. On that note, before before we kind of wrap, I do just want to clock that it'll be interesting to see how Don responds in in the finale next week and everything else to Betty's kind of ultimatum and and asking for a divorce and tell, saying that she's mm-hmm. leaving or kicking him out or however that's going to end up clocking because Don and again and trying to seek control and take power back in that situation where he's on the back foot for the first time um he tries to tell her that what she thinks and what she feels is just a result mm. of um the news the and the, the, the yeah exactly and it's like no girl knows what she wants this has been like a a three season yeah. long process for her so yeah, the look yeah. of determination on her face when she appears in the doorway, which kind of falters afterwards. But when she's there, it's just so she's determined and she looks angry and she's just like, I, you, you're not going to talk me out of it. I'm not going to talk me out of it. I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't love you. I've known it for a while. I've realized it when I kissed you that one time mm-hmm. when you're trying to make promises to me. It's just not enough anymore. You've ruined our life. You've, like, stained it all. Yeah, and I'm not going to make a generalization like this, but I have to just, like, say this succinctly, but, like, women think. You know what I mean? Like, Betty's been telling you for a really long time that there are, like, issues that need to be fixed, and it's Don's Mm -hmm. stupid fault that he didn't take her seriously. Now she's like, nah, I don't love you. Like, there were a bunch of chances. There maybe even could have been a chance after this box thing if it would have been, like, I don't know exactly what he could have said to, like, make it better or, like, what he could have done. Um, I mean, he could have not been having an affair, so when she first put out the box, they could have had a discussion about it then. Like, we don't even know what those four or five days of, like, brooding did to Betty, you know? Like, mm-hmm. but Betty's definitely the type of person that's, like, I'm not going to make a declaration of, like, not loving you until I've already decided that, like, I'm out. I'm all the way out. Mm. <clears throat> and, like, I don't want to stereotype or generalize because I'm sure that, like, a lot of very lovely men are very in touch with themselves emotionally and can think through these things before making rash decisions. But um, 
in this instance. I wouldn't call Don one of them. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> He's definitely like conflict avoidant in a way of just like maybe if I ignore it, the problem will maybe go Maybe if I tell you you're fine. Maybe if I tell you that it's all good and that you do not believe you, you what you're saying is not real, maybe that will make it true. Yeah. Yes? Yeah. No? <laughs> no. <laughs> And even tells her, you know, she she tells him, you know, you can't even hear me right now. And he's just like, yeah, no, I can't. But in a very dismissive way of just like, uh, because you're not well in the head. But the man knows, the man lives in denial. It's just this like, yeah. but I mean, I, it's fairly obvious that he's just like really aware of like, is my time finally up? This is, is it finally all caught up to me? Um, you know, his, his hunched over thing in the dark and the way he keeps like yeah. looking side eyes at Betty when he's leaving just waiting it's like he's almost waiting for her to lash out or something and do something like really big and extravagant and dramatic nah she's over it son sorry she's gonna play by her rules now I wish that the last shot of the episode was just him in the corner being depressed um <laughs> but you know he keeps it moving it's done I was gonna say or that moment where he's like peering through the doorway in the dark like almost like maybe he might try to sneak through or he's just like afraid of being caught by mom Mm -hmm. he just looks he just looked like such a scared little boy yeah so what you're saying is he's been here before a few times and he's quite aware they're dying and yeah sorry blink 182 (laughs) reference (laughs) bits and bobs bits and bobs all right bits and bobs uh i just want to point out it was like it wasn't actually a mini reunion for carlo uh carla gallo and ray and cartwright but every time i see them i'm like where do i know them from they're both on bones together yay they're both very charming lovely people she carla is hilarious um and i think you get a little bit of that in this episode and uh ryan cartwright who carla sorry and carla gallo is karen the roommate and ryan cartwright is mr hooker uh the weasley one but he's slightly less weasley on bones (laughs) Uh, and of course, shouts to my boy Lane. Yes, I was happy he was back, and you're Me back. Me too. And everything. He looks so good. Everyone's just like, "Ooh, I'm so cold," and he's just like there, like he's, he's like, "I'm not so cold. Hard. I'm chill." Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm just not cold. cool I'm as a chill. cucumber. Yeah, and he even like takes his glove off to shake Pete barehanded, and like, why do I love him so much? I know why. Because he's a proper <laughs> gentleman. Well, a lot of reasons um face and accent, uh, close <laughs> just the vibe kids uh and we we have made it to jfk's assassination i will admit that um i do not have a robust understanding of like american history and this is obviously before my time so this episode nearly sent me into like a google rabbit hole but i just didn't have time for it today because i really don't have any understanding of like what this instance instance it was pretty it was more than an instance um like i don't have any i don't have any understanding for like how things changed culturally after this like culturally or politically um i have more context about that for like 9 11 because that's the thing that i was alive for um but it's so vast and like they're they don't I, you know, it's not like somebody sat down and taught me these things. I don't even know what the point of this is. And we obviously don't have time to talk about all of it here on the podcast. But I just like um, the 
and I'm not like I'm not saying this is like a bad thing, but this is just another one of those things that's like, oh, Mad Men put this in the episode, and I have no context for it, and also Mad Men didn't give me any. Yeah, it's it's like a mild, and this is gonna be probably a bit of like you know like a, a really high level and can't like you know like see so we don't have time to go deeper but it, it's it's like a milestone and kind of the what we consider to be like the 60s and really when we talk about like the 60s we're really talking about like 65 to like 73 or 75 like that that kind of five years later because we're talking okay. about escalation in in vietnam and you know eventually getting nixon and watergate and all of that stuff but like for the the Kennedy presidency, you had like it was called Camelot for a reason. It was this like new hope, this new energy, you know, the new generation in the White House, you know, kind of the the cultivation of like post World War II um, triumphantism in a lot of ways. And then now you have it's kind of this is where it feels like things start to spiral with you know the escalation in in Vietnam and you know all those kind of different geopolitical changes so it, mm-hmm. it's like a marker in that and then you ha- like you know because you have this optimistic like oh he's so handsome i can't wait to vote for him next year um it's it's a milestone kind of in that and then mm-hmm. to if you know you Melissa or our listeners want to like get in and do deeper reading it's it's definitely some some interesting stuff just uh you can go really thick on the whole conspiracy theory side of that too mm-hmm. and go down lots of rabbit holes when it comes to uh, the Kennedy assassination. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's definitely one of those those moments, right? Yeah. I want to say it was like um, not kind of an optimistic not or hopeful time. Like, and I, Pete at some point even says, you know, it felt like things were really going to change and now there's a certain disillu- – there's a little more – disillusionment and and jadedness um uh what you know we're still in the middle of like the civil rights movement of everything happening and like you said matt you know i think tensions across the the ocean were still building and people were able to still ignore what was going on and you know you have people like the drapers where it's still not touching them but Mm -hmm. i think it brought home for a lot of people like Oh no, the world is scary and uncertain and it can actually happen even to this perfect couple that we have heralded even if everyone didn't like them necessarily politically there was still yeah. like the 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 Kennedys were were royalty seen you know that's how they were seen around the world people adore them my grandmother who had never left the Philippines my mother remembers her crying at his oh. death and, you know, the Philippines hadn't been in American uh, territory in uh, over 20 years by this point. But still, it that image of who they were meant so much to people around the world. It was so pervasive. Yeah. And and, and it, I think it, all, it, it was also like a catalyst for a lot of other changes afterwards, you know, like the passing of the Civil Rights uh, Act and that kind of thing. Uh, but you are right. The, uh, there was a lot of stuff there that did feel kind of familiar to those of us who have very clear memories of 9-11 and how everything did just seem to stop, that the sort of unease of that moment where all the phones in the office were ringing and no one was answering them because they were crowded around the radio and then they suddenly all just stop. That was a That was like one of the f- first times that I remember my parents acting like bizarre. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, what the fork is going on here? Yeah. 
when like everyone universally could not act like everything was fine although don did try a little bit he did actually do some good dadding i thought where he's just like we're all gonna it's gonna be fine but Mm -hmm. we're gonna be sad for a bit and this is happening um and not in a dismissive kids don't Mm -hmm. need to know things kind of way which like i guess bravo yeah and and not to go like to, I know he keeps saying this and going further down the rabbit hole, but like <laughs> specifically to Mad Men and Mad Men being a television show and our relationship with the TV, um, mm-hmm. like culturally, like as in North American society, is is something worth I think just kind of mentioning and stuff too. Because again, and you talk about that kind of perceived loss of innocence and and who's touched by you know societal change. Well, everyone's touched by societal change, but like where that's seeping through into you know that the those that have have more privilege than others and like betty watched like many americans yes. and many people around the world watched as lee harvey oswald was murdered by jack ruby right as he's like doing the perp walk that's right? like, like unfathomable that was... to me well i mean tech and i mean technically people also saw jfk's Kid? assassination yeah, like, exactly not yep. great footage of it yeah a little after the fact but was this like probably was this like one of the first real moments like widespread like you know globally or nationally significant moments that happened on on camera like that live potentially i mean other than right? you know moon landing i guess which is yeah, which is later cool. but yeah and, like, that's the 19- a beautiful moment that's this is traumatizing tragedy <laughs> And the 1960 election, that presidential debate when it was Kennedy versus Nixon, um, that was the first one that was televised too, right? And then again, yeah. we're talking about like as we, we've had, again, the the conflict in Vietnam being mentioned and name dropped and seeded throughout the season. And we know from from history that it it's going to escalate very quickly into the Vietnam War that, that we know we know of today and then you know that leads into you know nixon and like all pentagon papers and like all of that stuff so it's like again our relationship with television and the news and consuming news and how we consume that Mm -hmm. and this being one of those big watermark events from that it it you're exactly right annie it really kind of starts the snowball for the back half of the 20th century uh, yeah, you completely just reminded me. You know, the for anyone who doesn't know that with the debates for between Nixon and JFK, anyone who listened on the radio when they were polled, they're like, yeah, Nixon obviously won that debate. But anyone who watched it, they saw handsome man, cool and composed, and saw sweaty Nixon. They're like, oh, JFK, he did real good, and that was considered a huge, hugely significant to his his um, his win in the end. And now we have these ridiculous, you know, not ridiculous these. In what word do I want to use? These incredible, incredibly significant moments that happen almost constantly now, and we watch it live on the news. We watched. We watch we it watched, on a phone in our pockets that we carry around because yes, we, we don't even sit in front of the land TV. on the moon on Mars. Yeah. We watched people charge into the Capitol with guns. I thought about that so much during this episode because. My sister was with me on January 6th, and it was, like, mm-hmm. her first time um, not to make, like, a meme out of a very very serious situation. But it was, like, her first time where something, like, insane was happening in real time where she was, like, an aware adult that maybe mm. wanted to, like, watch the news. So she was, like, can we watch the news? Which that one, Aww. that's not how I would have chosen to take in that content, but... Um, you know, it was her first time. I wasn't going to say no. So we were watching the news and I just kept thinking to myself, like, I don't think that I'm going to recover if we like see something 
if we see mm-hmm. something if something happens and we see it <laughs> like i am not gonna be okay and that is what i thought about um watching this episode because all of these people saw something and they were not okay <laughs> like mm-hmm. betty's not okay yeah oh wow that was probably the most shaken up we've seen her too up until now and like i'm trying to remember all the things that that i in my lifetime had seen up until what was this 2009 you know uh I remember what Princess Diana's death. I vaguely remember, you know, I'm 35 now. I remember um, footage of Columbine. That was a hugely significant moment, I think, as a young person living mm-hmm. in America. Um, and 9-11, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, literally our day stopped. Um, and we all, you know, so many of us saw the second plane hit. It's... Uh, okay, so... TV was a mistake? Yeah. Like, is that... It might have been a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Live footage was a mistake? Followed by, like, social media, maybe. <laughs> maybe we should all go back to radio. <laughs> anyway, so... Uh, I feel like, <laughs> really, a few nitpicks about the episode, characterization, writing. But I think a lot of our, our thoughts and feelings are really rooted in the actual quality of the show which is i would say still relevant yeah wow it's our podcast good thing we picked a good show i guess (laughs) flawed Um, as it is yeah um okay so uh in the meantime before we reconvene for the final episode of season three i can't believe it um annie where can we find you on the internet uh, you can find me on Instagram, P-O-P-A-R-T-E-R-Y, Pop Artery, where I mostly just post uh, stupid stories. Uh, you can also find me on The Daily Nightly, a Jane Austen podcast where me and our good friend Jesse are currently reading Mansfield Park, which is a, a it's a, it's a something. It's a book. <laughs> I'm it's reading a book. it. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's a book. It's, it's just like definitely not what you expect it to be. Um, yeah. Yeah, Matt? You can find me on Twitter at Mattyhue, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. And Melissa? You can find me on Twitter at Mellow Yellow, um, and you can find me co-hosting the Wild Pretty Things podcast, where we recently uh, revisited the Virgin Suicides in the similar fashion to this, Mm. and by that I mean I had never seen it before. And yeah, it was a fun time. So you can do that. Um, if you would like to email us, and you should, uh, you can get us at stillgreatbob at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us together on Twitter at stillgreatpod. And if you like us a lot, you can rate and review us on the podcasting system of your choice. And as always, thank you to DJ Empirical for our very groovy theme song. Okay. Bye. Later, guys. Later, days.